Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Mark Krikorian, Executive Director at the Center for Immigration Studies. Today's topic, an immigration update, fighting Biden in court. And Mark, great to have you with us here on The Shilling Show Unleashed. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, I want to let people know that you guys have your own podcast and it's full of great information. So maybe you could tell us just a little bit about the Parsing Immigration Policy podcast. Right. It's a weekly podcast, half an hour or so, maybe 40 minutes, called Parsing Immigration Policy. And, um, you know, we've been doing it for a little over a year now, so we're uh, we're pretty happy with it. And it's on all the usual podcast places. It's called parsing immigration policy. There's some big breaking news that is right in our backyard here in Central Virginia, and there was an arrest of illegal aliens in Richmond and one here in Albemarle County, where we broadcast from, that had planned a massacre plot on the 4th of July in Richmond. Thankfully, it was interrupted. But I want to go to the larger issue of the danger of criminal illegal aliens coming into this country. We're just opening the floodgates and things like this are bound to happen, are they not? Absolutely. Uh, And the issue is not that most illegal aliens are criminals. Most of them are just regular working stiffs like everybody else, you know, a little good, little bad, some of each, you know, Mm -hmm. regular people. The fact, though, is that what the Biden administration is doing in allowing the border to be so lax and so chaotic is creating opportunities for bad guys to get in. Because just to give you one illustration, the policy of basically letting anybody go who brings a kid with them results in these large groups of people, 100, 2, 3, 400 people at a time coming across the border and turning themselves in. Those people aren't very likely to be criminals. I mean, some of them might be, but generally speaking, they're not. But what it means is it strips the Border Patrol manpower from the line, from the border itself, to deal with all of these folks, do all of the processing and what have you that they're, and they're enticed to come and turn themselves in by the Biden administration. Well, what that means is there's nobody watching the rest of the border and cartels actually use those groups of people strategically. They don't do the smuggling, the drug cartels, they take a tax from the smuggling rings, which are separate. But what they do often is they tell the smugglers, okay, here's your tax. We'll give you a 10% discount, but you have to cross at this place on the border at this time of day and don't pay any attention to what's happening five miles upriver. They take advantage of that to distract the Border Patrol and get across what even the Border Patrol under Biden would be allowed to stop, whether it's fentanyl, whether it's criminals, whatever it is, this administration's policies are making it easier 
for bad people and bad things to get across the border. Mark, God forbid, if this attack had taken place in Richmond on Independence Day, do you think it would have made any difference at all in the policy of the Biden administration? No. The administration is wedded to this idea that illegal immigrants don't, there is no such thing as illegal immigrants. In other words, that anybody who comes to the border has a right to be let in. It's not so much open borders because they still believe in having a border patrol, you know, do something. It's kind of open-ish borders, but so that anyone who gets to the border and, uh, you know, says some magic words about applying for asylum gets to come in. And that is basically a kind of perspective of unlimited immigration. They don't believe the American people have the right to limit immigration and to say no to people who aren't criminals or terrorists or what have you. And that is a deep-seated principle now on the mainstream left. It was always there on the fringy people, but now it's a mainstream position that regular illegal, regular people who aren't criminals or terrorists who show up at the border have to be let in. And that once they're here, they have to do something really appalling, like this massacre that was planned or something else, in order to get thrown out. That regular people, even if they're illegal aliens, cannot be deported. That is a core belief now of the Democratic Party, and there's nothing that's going to shake them from that. So, Mark, what's behind that principle? Why has there been this change, and what's driving it? See, a lot of people on the right see it as some kind of cynical political strategy, you know, importing voters for the left. You know, there's some of that, but I don't think that's the, that's what's at the core of it. I don't think that's really what's driving it. It's that the modern left, not just here, but I mean, this is the case in Europe as well, has become post-national, post-patriotic. I don't mean that they hate America. Some of them obviously do, but generally they've they don't see America as their primary loyalty and uh, the interests of Americans as opposed to people abroad as their primary concern. They're citizens of the world, if you will. Mm. And if you're a citizen of the world, then how can you morally justify to yourself to say no to somebody from, you know, Haiti or somewhere else who wants to move here and would, you know, improve his circumstances, certainly even though that came at the expense of Americans, because from that perspective, a person from Haiti is just as important to your policy-making considerations as a person from uh, Richmond. And that is, I mean, it's a perspective. It's fundamentally contrary to the idea of nationhood or even self-government. But I think that basic view that that post-American view that they're citizens of the world is what drives the left's immigration policies. And that's not something you're going to talk them out of with, a, you know, with one kind of newsworthy incident. So how do we maintain national sovereignty if that is the prevailing attitude, or do we? Well, we throw people who have that attitude out of government yeah. um, and keep them away from it as far as possible. The first step to that is to expose it. And it's not that I'm saying there's a conspiracy or something. It's just that you have to kind of bring it into focus to make clear what's going on. One of the 
questions I ask people is, uh, okay, you want to increase immigration, you tell me. Okay, so let's say it's 5 million a year instead of the already too high 1 million a year that we take now. Let's just say 5 million a year. What are you willing to do about person 5 million and one? Not an elite, he's not a terrorist, he's not a murderer, just a regular working stiff. Are you willing to track that person down, take him into custody, and throw him out regardless of how sympathetic his story is? And if the answer is no, and the answer is no on the part of those people, then you're in favor of unlimited immigration. You do not believe that the American people have the right to say this many and no more. And that's the kind of thing that we need to make clear in democratic discourse so that people can make decisions on the actual ideologies and actual worldviews of competing politicians rather than just, you know, what they're saying in their 30-second TV ads. So, Mark, we have an essentially lawless administration, and uh, the remedy to that uh, outside of the ballot box has been the court's. Let's talk about the latest Supreme Court ruling regarding Remain in Mexico. It was certainly not the ruling we were hoping for. No, it wasn't. The Remain in Mexico program was instituted by President Trump. And what the reason for it is that there were all these illegal aliens coming over. We didn't have the capacity to detain them all uh, because of basically a legacy of the Obama administration. And so the the Trump people used a provision that's in the law, they didn't make that up, that said a person who comes across illegally, says they want asylum, can, instead of being detained, can be sent back to Mexico to wait until their hearing date comes up. And that's important because these asylum claims are just a dodge or just a gambit to get past the border patrol and be let go. And some people do show up for hearings, some of them don't. But in the end, if even if they're ordered deported, they're never let they're never found and removed. So the point of it was a way to deal with this illegal flow that would disincentivize people from coming across because they're not they don't want to wait in Tijuana. They want to be let go and join their relatives and get an illegal job in the U.S. Well, it worked amazingly well under Trump. Huge drop in the number of people coming across. Under Biden, they ended it on day one, or they, you know, suspended it, and then they tried to end it. And uh, Texas sued. It's a long story, but they got a federal judge to say, no, you can't end this because you don't have any other option that you're, you know, at hand to limit illegal immigration. It got the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court decided very narrow question and that's five, four. And that was whether remain in Mexico was mandatory in the law or not. And it's obviously not It says Homeland security may use this program if they think it's necessary. So, but they didn't decide the underlying question of can the administration instead of remain in Mexico, just let everybody go. They've let a million illegal aliens go into the United States more than that now. Uh, And that question, I think, is going to end up coming back to the Supreme Court because this case wasn't decided finally. They just decided one narrow thing and then sent it back. And ultimately, even though it was a a victory for the administration, it wasn't that much of a victory because they're already not using 
remain in Mexico for most illegal aliens anyway. There were like 1.2 million illegal alien arrests in the six months through May. And this administration, even though it was under court order to keep using this Remain in Mexico program, only put 5,000 of those 1 million, 1.2 million people into Remain in Mexico. It was already basically a dead letter. The, it's a defeat, but it's a small defeat. And next year, if and when this case comes back to the Supreme Court to deal with the more important issue of is the administration breaking the law by letting all of these people just go en masse, I think that there's a real chance they're going to lose on that one. That'll be a more important victory for our side than this was a victory for them recently. So what will be the immediate impact of this ruling in the Supreme Court? Well, they will end the program. Mm -hmm. uh, but like I said, they're only putting a few hundred in a month, maybe a couple hundred people into this program to make them wait in Mexico. I don't even know how they're picking which ones they do and which ones they, I think they're just basically trying to keep the federal judge that ordered, they continue it, trying to keep him happy and avoid being found in contempt of court. They're just doing it for show. And so they're now going to stop doing it for show. It's, I don't think it's going to make a big difference. The big difference will be if they end title 42, that's a different program that was related to the pandemic not even immigration law, but it says the board, because of the pandemic, the border patrol can just bounce people out of the country, no hearing, no asylum, none, nothing. That was obviously very effective too. In fact, it kind of replaced remain in Mexico once the pandemic happened. The problem is, even though this administration kept that policy in place, they've been applying it to fewer and fewer people. So in May, less than half of the illegal alien encounters, so-called, at the border, were uh, bounced back under Title 42. And this administration is trying to end it. A different federal judge has stopped them from ending it. They're going to end it, though, eventually. They're going to succeed in ending it. And the Homeland Security people, even under this administration, are saying it'll be a total disaster if they end it because it'll double or more the number of illegal aliens getting into the country under this administration's policy. And we're already at levels that earlier administrations, even democratic ones would have considered beyond belief. And it's just going to get worse when they end this title 42 program as they almost certainly will be able to at some point in the next, I don't know, few months. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast continues with Mark Krikorian in just a moment. Support this podcast online at shillingshow.com. Borderhawk.news is a one-stop shop with the latest news about immigration, nationalism, and globalism. The Borderhawk staff daily curates immigration news stories and in the fashion of the Drudge Report, updates the site with cutting-edge content and original first-class commentary. Borderhawk.news highlights national and international media reports, tweets and nuggets buried in local news blurbs, polls, video clips, and policy research. 
Border Hawk is pro-legal immigration, pro-rule of law, but against an unsecure border as countless Americans have suffered violence at the hands of criminal illegal aliens. And an increasing number of Americans are concerned about how mass migration affects their daily life. Borderhawk.news will remain on the forefront of the immigration issue with a buffet of info to read, evaluate, and share. Bookmark Borderhawk.news. Add them on social media at News on Twitter. Charlottesville's Community Watchdog. Mark Krikorian is our guest on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. He's executive director at the Center for Immigration Studies. We talked about the Supreme Court case, which was the big one, but are there other significant court cases winding their way through the courts presently? Sure. There's a Title 42 case about whether the administration jumped through all the hoops and dotted the I's and crossed the T's in trying to get rid of Title 42. There's another notable case against the administration's sort of policy memo to ICE officers telling them whom they're allowed to arrest or even Mm. question among illegal aliens. And the whole point of it was it's gone through a bunch of iterations. There's a lot of the getting into the weeds there. But the point of the memo from Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas to basically to the staff is that ICE officers are basically not allowed to arrest almost any illegal alien, except in the most extraordinary cases. Texas sued to basically stop the memo. And a lower court judge, a federal court judge, the word they use is they vacated the memo. In other words, he said this is unlawful. Uh, In other words, both wasn't put into effect in the right way. In other words, they didn't jump through the right hoops to issue the regulation. And the regulation itself is illegal anyway, even if they had jumped through the hoops. So that was decided at a lower court level. That probably is also going to end up before the Supreme Court. It wouldn't be till next year, probably. I mean, it might be this fall, but maybe not. The problem there is, of course, even though that memo isn't handcuffing ICE officers anymore, this administration is making clear, you know, with winks and nods and nudges that you better follow that memo anyway, if you value your job and your career. The lawsuits against this administration are an important tactic. There's no question about it. And there are, there are you know, all kinds of things that are still being done. But ultimately, the root cause of the border disaster is sitting in the Oval Office. And until there's a different administration, even a change in the majority in Congress isn't going to basically change things because, I mean, you just can't make law enforcement enforce the law if they have been told they're not permitted to do that by their bosses. This is a political matter that has to be dealt with politically, which is to say removing the problem, removing the people who are um, preventing law enforcement from doing its job. And the courts and Congress can have a role, but it's mainly going to be at the margins, I'm afraid. It's not fundamentally going to change things. Mark, the policies of the Biden administration have terrible consequences in many ways, but some of them are very obvious. And I want to go to what happened in San Antonio, 
where we had 46 or more uh, migrant deaths. Would you talk about the tie-in of the policy to the uh, terrible event that took place? Sure. Actually, it ended up being 53 people yeah. who died in the end. I mean, because the numbers added up. It's just appalling disaster. The largest single uh, example of that kind of smuggling death. And the anti-borders people immediately jumped on it and said, aha, this is our border enforcement policies are causing these deaths, which is ludicrous. Um, there's always going to be some people taking foolish and even fatal risks to sneak into the United States. That's just a given. But under this administration, we are luring people here by making it easy to be an illegal alien. There's no more enforcement against uh, enforcement of the law against employing illegal aliens. There's not even much deportation inside the country of anybody, even criminals are less likely to get deported under this administration. And then at the border itself, we're incentivizing people to come over, you know, bring a kid with you and we'll let you go. All of that laxity makes it appealing to come here to try out your, you know, try your luck at coming in here as an illegal alien. It increases the odds of success. And, you know, people who are overseas thinking about illegally immigrating are rational people. They're thinking, okay, is it worth my borrowing all this money or mortgaging my, you know, uncle's uh, two acre farm in order to do this? Is there going to be a payoff or am I just going to get caught and thrown back and then I lose all my money and it's a total waste? That's the calculus that our policies affect. And under this administration, we're telling people, give it a try. It's worth it. But at the same time, we still have some immigration enforcement, especially if you're a single man, you don't have a kid with you. Maybe if you've been deported before, you could still get caught and thrown back. It's, it's not impossible. And so what we're doing is not create under this administration is not creating an open border, but creating an open ish border and a totally open border. You wouldn't have this kind of thing. Obviously, if anybody could just walk across, then nobody would have to pay smugglers. And that's honestly what the Democrats and libertarians are calling for. Um, but we're not going to have that. And we shouldn't ever have that. So the only alternative that can avoid these kind of tragedies or minimize them is a consistent policy of enforcement. It's going to be hard for you to get across. And if you get in, it's going to be hard for you to stay. We're going to enforce the law. Send that message. And like I said, some people will still do foolish things, but not as many of them. You're not going to have this kind of tra these, this scale of tragedies if people abroad figure it's just not worth the risk and the expense because ultimately they're going to get taken into custody and thrown out anyway. So why take the risk? Mark, will there be anyone held accountable for these deaths, or are they just going to go by the wayside and we go on about our way? Well, this is nobody politically, no. Mm -hmm. But this administration, in order to distract attention from its own culpability, is making a big show, a big performance of going after smuggling rings. And they are, in fact, partly responsible. I mean, they're the directly responsible, these smugglers, and they're the scum of the earth. So it's an easy target, but the administration in making a big deal about going after smugglers 
is hoping that to distract your attention from their own part in responsibility in causing this disaster. So somebody, you know, will be held accountable at the lowest level. It's kind of like the street level drug dealer being arrested, but the kingpin who's behind the whole thing gets away with it. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the situation I'm afraid that we're going to see in the wake of these kind of disasters. I'd like to spend our remaining minutes on potential solutions to Biden's illegal immigration, uh, the folly, and also the major problems that have been caused. And I, I think top of the list, you referenced ICE funding and resources. Tell us what's needed. Well, the first thing that's needed is not necessarily more funding and resources for ICE. What's needed is permission for ICE to do its job. Yes. Uh, you know, ICE has detention facilities that are empty. Because this administration has, you know, there's contracts for them, but they refuse to arrest illegal aliens. ICE officers encounter illegal aliens and they're not allowed to arrest them because they're not in, you know, whatever list of priorities this administration has. So the first thing that has to be done is giving permission to ICE officers to go do their job. And that doesn't mean they're walking the streets, you know, asking anybody uh, who looks Hispanic for their papers. I mean, that's not the way law enforcement works. Nobody's even interested in that. But, you know, working with local jails, for instance, when they arrest people for regular crimes, drunk driving, beating your wife, dealing drugs, whatever it is, everybody who's arrested of whatever, any, every, literally everybody, take their fingerprints. Those fingerprints go to the FBI, which everybody knows about. But they also go to Homeland Security. So ICE actually knows about lots and lots of illegal aliens who are getting arrested. And this administration is simply not permitting ICE to do its job and to go and collect those people. Because even though there's a lot of sanctuary cities that won't cooperate with ICE, there's a lot of places that aren't. So the first thing is not so much money or people or anything, and all those are important, but it's changing what ICE is allowed to do, which is to say, let them do their jobs in a way that this administration is literally prohibiting them from doing their jobs. You mentioned sanctuary cities. Is there a way to outlaw those policies that enable sanctuary cities? Yes and no. Uh, The federal government does have influence. The best way to outlaw sanctuary cities is at the state level because all cities and counties are creations of state governments. In other words, the sovereign is the state. And so state governments, state legislatures can require or prohibit whatever they want as far as states and counties. So that's the most direct and effective way of banning sanctuary cities. But the federal government has the power of the purse and they can use their funding power There's always legal limits on how you can use that, but Congress can make more explicit that if you don't cooperate with ICE, if when ICE asks you to hold somebody, you know, for the 48 hours beyond the time you're holding them for your crime, federal law authorizes 48 hours of additional custody. If ICE asks you to hold on to them until they can come and pick them up, any jurisdiction, city, state, county that doesn't do that would lose X, Y, and Z funds, for instance. Trump administration tried to do that, but 
there were problems with the way the laws were written. And so that's something that can be done to make it harder to be a sanctuary city. But the most direct way is to work on state legislatures, to get them to prohibit sanctuary cities in their jurisdictions. Mark Krikorian, if people want to get more information on your work at the Center for Immigration Studies, how can they do that? We're online at cis.org. We have a daily blog, almost daily anyway. All our publications are there. You can sign up on our email list. We don't bother you too much, just you know, once a week or so about what's going on. And then we have, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, a podcast called Parsing Immigration Policy. It's on all the usual podcast places, half an hour, 45 minutes, uh, once a week. And then for people who have a taste for snark and sarcasm, I'm on Twitter at Mark S, as in Stephen, Mark S. Krikorian. Mark, we appreciate the work you're doing, and we thank you for joining us today on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Happy to do it. Thank you. That concludes another edition of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com, where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time. Until next time.